mean, there's nothing that anybody could say right now that's going to make me feel too good about about anything we're doing. But uh, you know, we have to we have to stew with this for for two weeks. Yes, they do. Welcome to a few extra bucks, everybody. It's our podcast here on PeterPowers.com. Dirk Cutter, all about accountability after this one. Didn't hold back at all. We will get into his post-game press conference. But first, we'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews in Lutz, Florida, on the corner of Northdale Mabry and Van Dyke, and, of course, Sea Dog Brewing Company. Two great locations, Treasure Island on the beach and, of course, in Clearwater. I have to bring in... My two partners in crime, our producer, Justin Thomas, and our Buccaneer insider, Roy Cummings. Uh, first, Roy, you know, Dirk Cutter not holding back at all after this one, huh? No, and uh, I'm not surprised, really. I mean, look, uh, <laughs> much to uh, a lot of fans' chagrin, he is not going to fire everybody, uh, including uh, his defensive coordinator, Mike Smith. But, um, yeah, he's not holding back. I mean, there's just he's he's right. There was very little to uh, to like about this one from a Bucks perspective. Um, and <laughs> where do they go from here, man? I don't know. This this team really needs that two weeks to try to figure some things out. Uh, obviously, on the defensive side of the ball, that's that's where the problems are. They didn't get much done on offense today either, but that's because they were just uh, playing from behind for so much. It was just an embarrassment from the defensive side. Justin Thomas, our voice of reason. Can you give me one word to describe this game? Uh, really bad. <laughs> That's more than one word, but yeah, awful. it was. Well, Dirk Cutter summed it up as horrific, and I and I would think that word fits. Horrific. That's very apropos. You yeah. know what? What's amazing, guys, to me is we all predicted the Bears would win this game, but we didn't predict forty-eight to ten. Roy, I mean, to me, for a football team that started the season in such promising fashion with the expectations low. Everybody was dreading the first three games, Roy, but they kind of forget about life after that, don't they, a little bit? Well, yeah, they did. And, you know, as excited as everybody got for those first two games in particular, you know, and it's been said many times about the NFL, winning masks a lot of problems. And, I, you know, I hinted at it. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be Debbie Downer in the middle of a two-game winning streak and everybody excited, but I did hint at it in some of our previous podcasts here that, well, okay, yeah, they beat the Saints and they beat the the Eagles, but, well, they sure gave up a lot of points and yards in doing so, and that's not going to be able to continue. Sooner or later, they're going to have to start running the ball. Um, the only, you know, I think I wrote it last week in my, my uh, breakdown of the game, which was also available on pewterpirates.com, that in essence, the Bucks won their first two games because they had a quarterback, you know, hitting everything he threw, and receivers basically beating everybody that they were going up against. Well, that's not happening anymore, and you see the results two weeks in a row, and it is not good, and it's clearly not acceptable either. The Buccaneers, the most points allowed through the first four games in team history, 139 points, and that's most in the NFL this year. In the last decade, only five teams have given up that many points, and one of them, oh, yeah, the 0-16 Detroit Lions. So not good company Right there. Here's Dirk Cutter after the game just saying, you know what, uh, this is on all of us. Based on that game today, we couldn't make enough changes. We should fire every person that was on that field today, starting with me. That was that was horrific. Boy, for a guy in the hot seat, that's a pretty bold statement. It is. Um, it's almost like, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for here. Uh, it yeah. could happen. I don't think it will. Uh, let's get that out of the way right now. I, I seriously doubt that, in fact, 
the Glazers are not going to fire Dirk Cutter. They're probably not going to fire Mike Smith. And one of the reasons you say that now is because who are you going to go get? Okay, we're four weeks into an NFL season. Uh, there's, there, there are no head coaching candidates out there right now. Todd Munkin? Uh, and, and you can't decide to, to fire a coach or a coordinator based on, okay, two losses, even three, four bad games here. So I forget. The Bucks only gave up 21 points to only 21 points to the uh, to the Eagles, but yeah, something's got to change here. But you know, I don't think anybody loses their job over this just yet. Okay, I get Drew Brees. You know, I understand Ben Roethlisberger, but this is uh, Mitchell Trubisky who entered the game with nine touchdowns, ten career interceptions, and he had six touchdowns in the first half. Roy, I mean, I know the secondary is bad, and I know they're young. And I know Brent Grimes isn't a uh, you know spring chicken anymore, but this is crazy to me how bad they are. It really is. And here's here's what happens, guys. When you combine lack of pass rush, except for one series, there was one series where they had a pass rush. You combine a horrible lack of a pass rush with a secondary where they cannot cover very well. Number one and number two are blowing basic fundamental uh, aspects of the game, just completely forgetting about basic fundamental aspects of the game, combine that with a bad pass rush, and then have a day where the one strength you've got defensively, your linebackers are just off as well. Well, this is the result, and that's what happened today. No pass rush, uh, no ability to cover, and the fundamentals were, were completely broken down throughout uh, on, on every – you know, aspect of the team. And then the linebackers just had a bad day. They really did. I mean, Quan Alexander, you know, here's the thing. It's hard to play downhill straight ahead football when the offense you're facing is not allowing that. When the offense is getting the ball out quick and hitting these running backs uh, out in space, uh, the linebackers can't do what they do best in the Bucks case, which is run downhill and make plays that way. Uh, when they're chasing sideline to side sideline, uh, and and the running backs already got two three steps on it because there was a you know fundamental breakdown to begin with, uh, and just looking at the play and reading it, well, this is what happens. You have results like today. Well, defensively, you mentioned it. Uh, a lot of blame to go around, and Dirk Cutter uh, would agree with Roy Cummings. Here's what he had to say: This is 100 percent on us. This is 100 percent us. I mean, give Chicago credit for making the plays. But uh, we were not good in, in any aspects. And, you know, as far as we could talk about what, what plays are called on both sides, and we definitely could have coached better today. There's no question about that. But Mike Smith didn't make any tackles or turn any guys loose on coverage. So that's we can, we can make that. You guys can make those innuendos all you want. But we got beat in, in all aspects of football today and, and coaching as well. So Dirk Cutter uh, and his staff, you know, putting the blame on, you know, the coaches, the players, and, and, and saying, you know, obviously, it's not all Mike Smith's fault. He wasn't out there making plays. But he was asked about the defense maybe trying to overcompensate because they struggled so much up in the Windy City. <laughs> no, absolutely not trying to do too much. I mean, we couldn't play zone. We couldn't play man. Uh, you know, JPP did get the sack early. We hit him uh, a couple other times. But, uh, you know, that – we couldn't. We couldn't do any. It didn't matter what we did today. They, they were. They were uh, running free, and he had time to do it. He put the ball on the money. So that's that's on us. Well, you mentioned you know, Mike, the linebacker. 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, there were two questions asked in that press conference today, and both of them were cliches. And I'm not knocking either of the poor reporters because I'll explain something here in a second. One of the questions was, you know, did the did the Bears do anything differently than what you saw on tape, you know, preparing for the game? Uh, that that's a cliche, and I'll explain why um, why that question was asked. And also, the and the next question, which was was asked, the one that Dirk just responded to was. You know, was this a, a result of the guys trying to do a little bit too much um, defensively to, you know, to, to make up for the mistakes early on and things like that? The reason those two questions are cliche questions coming from the media and the reason the media kind of gets cornered into asking them is because nobody has any answers after a game like this. The, the, the media doesn't have the answers, obviously. The coaches don't have the answers. The coaches literally can look at that and say, how in the world did that happen? Because if anybody thinks for a second that the Buccaneers or any other team in the NFL goes out and coaches itself or coaches off the players, so to play like that, they're wrong. So when a game like this is what the result is after a week of preparation, short week, long week, doesn't make any difference. No one can fathom it and understand how in the world did that happen. And because it's so ridiculous the media asks questions that they're just trying to get the coach in essence to can you just respond to some guttural reference that I throw out there and and tell us what happened but the coaches don't have an answer either because no one expected anything like this it didn't look like this in practice there's no reason that Mitch Trubisky should throw six touchdown passes against the Buccaneers no matter who's on the field but it happened and nobody knows why Looking at the tape probably won't give you any answers either. It was just, it was just a complete and utter fundamental breakdown um, on the part of everybody on the field, probably the coaches in the press box as well, uh, calling it. Um, and there was just no way anybody could stop it. It's one of those things that just it, it gets out of control and you can't do anything about it. And that's why, you know, when questions are asked, you know, did they do anything differently? Well, the answers aren't very good. And when questions like you know, did, did somebody try to, were guys trying to do too much? Again, the answer is no, that's, that's not the answer. We're trying to do anything to stop them and we couldn't do anything to stop them. So it's, it's a real, real weird dynamic after a game like that, because nobody suspect, expected anything like that. You see it happen and you really can't believe it. The coaches don't have any answers, nor do the players. I will say this, though, yeah, it's uh, always a challenge, especially if you cover a losing team where you lose games, maybe not in this fashion, but a lot of losses in a row. To me, that really shows your medal as a reporter because you have to find different ways to ask questions, not only in a press conference to a coach, Roy, and you know this, but to players as well who continue to struggle in the same fashion. But I don't know if you agree with me on this. I found you know, covering the league, and I've covered the Saints for, for a long time, and I know Sean Payton is always better after a loss than a win because coaches are never happy when they win they don't want to you know really go overboard with the success either but i found it generally coaches are better even though they're not happy they're usually better sound after a loss and it is you know as bad as this loss was for the bucks that was good sound from Dirk cutter it was heartfelt and he wasn't happy but do you agree with some of that oh yeah i do uh i, I often find in the nfl in particular it's not that way usually with uh, the National Hockey League or, or Major League Baseball. I, I haven't covered enough NBA to know, but um, only having covered the Magic for a year or two. So I can't say that. In college, I think it's the same way. Um, you're right. Coaches are better after a loss because 
well, number one, they're humbled. They can't be cocky about we told you so. Nobody believed in us, which is another one of their cliches. But um, they're humbled a little bit. And, you know, they know they have to they're, – they're responsible. And they've got to kind of, you know, say, okay, well, this is where we screwed it up today. But a game like this, again, like I said, you're not going to know it just looking at it, except for the basics, which we couldn't rush the passer effectively. We couldn't cover effectively. We couldn't tackle effectively. Uh, it looked like we didn't have any idea whatsoever. I mean, like I said, it, it's not like they took five days off preparing for this game. They put in five days of good hard work, and nothing came out the way it was expected to. Um, in fact, I, I, mean, I promise you that the Bucks went into this game thinking, okay, at, at worst, we're going to give up 23, maybe 28 points, tops, tops. There's no way in the world we're giving up what we gave up to these guys, not this team. And – when it happens like this, you just don't know. And I, I'm, I, the worst thing about it, I don't think looking at the tape is going to tell them either. I, th- I think, you know, the Bucks are going to – everybody's going to talk about, oh, we're going to spend the next two weeks trying to figure this out. They're, you know what they're better off doing? Doing what you do in baseball and basketball and hockey. You throw this one in the garbage can and forget about it. Just forget about it. Just go back to work on the Falcons. you got two weeks to prepare. Just make sure that you, everybody's got everything that they're supposed to do down. And, and move on from this one. Move on from it quickly. Don't don't brood over it. Don't spend three days looking at the tape, trying to figure out what went wrong. Everything went wrong. Just pick it up from where you were and move on. Okay, let's talk about the offense. We've talked about the defense. And I know it's not all his fault, Roy. But Ryan Fitzpatrick obviously isn't the same guy he was in the first two games. Is Fitz magic over? I mean, and, and to me, let's let's first talk about him before we get to Jameis. But but how would you how would you analyze what's happened to Ryan Fitzpatrick compared to what he did, you know, coming out of the gates in this? Well, season? here's the, here's the dirty secret about Ryan Fitzpatrick: uh, an extremely good quarterback when everything around him is working perfectly. Um, receivers are getting open. Uh, protection is exquisite. Perfect. He, he's excellent when everything around him is going well. As soon as adversity shows up in the form of a hand in his face, a little bit too much pressure, he does what almost any quarterback does. He tries to do a little bit too much, tries to make a play where maybe there isn't a play, um, loses his concentration just a little bit. Um, and by that, I mean uh, he, he's focused on the right play and the right player and the right throw, but he doesn't go through the throw perfectly. You saw today where he had a little bit of pressure and instead of getting the ball off cleanly and being able to step into his throw, he doesn't have the ability to adjust um, in the throwing motion to avoid uh, a disaster. And you and, and the pick that he had today, um, that, that was a result of that. And so again, the first two weeks, it, it, everything was great. Protection was outstanding. Uh, receivers were, were running wide open. He had his choice of guys. Um, the play calls were all good. Today, they were they were playing from behind the sticks all day long because of that defense. That defense was in their head the minute they went out there, number one. Um, and then it got in, their, got in his face. And as soon as it did, he changed. He was a different quarterback and, and nowhere near as effective as he was in the first two games. And that's the tough part for him. Um, when everything's working really well, He's a dangerous guy. When it's not, you get results like today, which are mediocre at best. All right, Roy. 
in the second half, if you're Dirk Cutter, I thought the obvious move was to put Jameis Winston because you knew it was going to happen at some point. And as bad as this game was, to me, the only good thing was this was a clear uh, way to put him in because it was a, it was a you know a bad situation. Maybe he would give him a spark. A, do you agree with putting Jameis Winston in? And would he be your starter after the bye week? Uh, answer to the first question is absolutely. It was the right call. Um, he needs the work. Uh, it was mop-up duty. Uh, there was no rallying this team. I mean, well, it, it, I suppose it could have happened, but it was unlikely. Um, but, no, it was perfect opportunity to put Jameis in there, let him get some work. Um, we haven't seen him. You know, the team hasn't seen him, obviously, in three weeks plus. Uh, it was a real good opportunity for him to, you know, get out there and get his uh, get his feet wet again. Would I start him against uh, the Falcons? I probably would. Um, he's your quarterback. He's your number one quarterback. Uh, you've got to live and die at this point with your best. And, um, you know, if he, he, he is the best. So put him out there. They're going to need this offense to carry this defense this year. And you need a player who can make plays uh, out of nothing, perhaps, because if the line doesn't get any better, uh, you're going to see a lot of nothing. So uh, he's going to have to make, do some miraculous things. He's got more ability to do that than Ryan Fitzpatrick does. He's got more of an ability to make something out of nothing than Fitzpatrick does. The concern is he often tries too often to make something out of nothing. He's got to remember to check that. But, uh, yes, I would go with Yeah, I agree on both counts. I agree. I agree that was a no-brainer to put Jameis Winston in in the second half, and I think you have to have Jameis Winston be your starter moving forward. Bob, what a difference a couple weeks make for Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston. Here's what Dirk Cutter had to say about Jameis Winston after the game. Towards the end of the half, I told the coaches that uh, we were going to switch to switch to Jameis. Uh, I talked to Jameis and Fitz both uh, in the locker room at halftime, and uh, you know a chance to get Jameis some some real football. And we put Jameis in a terrible situation today, you know. Uh, and I told him that. I told him that right off the bat at halftime that we we're putting him in a bad situation. And uh, I mean, I knew Jameis would go in and give us everything he had, and and he did. What do you think of that, Roy? Yeah, I like I like the answer. Um, he's right. They did. They put him in a bad situation. They basically have handed him the ball and said, uh, "All right, now go fix it." Uh, we, we, you know, we, everybody else put the team in this big, deep, uh, ugly hole that we're in. Now go pull us out of it. And it, it was an impossible task. Um, but James Winston, uh, he accepts those challenges. Um, and I, I agree with Dirk. I, I thought he did a good job. Um, you know holding his own and, and giving the team a little bit of a spark, not much one. He threw a couple of picks himself. Uh, not, not a great day for Jameis, but again, he's trying to do way too much. Now that that's a case where he was trying to do too much. Um, but that's Jameis when you're down, you know, the way they work, that's what's going to happen. So, um, you know, those things happen and uh, that that's where they are. And it couldn't be, uh, uh, it could be, a, you know, to me, a worse game to go into the bye week. Now you have to stew over this for the better part of two weeks. Dirk Cutter was asked how they're going to approach going into the bye week after a game like this. I mean, certainly not the way that we want to go into our bye week. Of course not. I mean, we got up to a hot start and now, you know, two, two losses in a row going into the bye week. But at the same time, it is one of 16. And I don't, I don't say that, uh, I don't say that with any happiness in my voice. I mean, you know, we stunk today in all in all facets. I know it's only one game, Roy, but the Saints win. They're atop the NFC South. What a difference a few weeks make when the Bucks beat the Saints to open the season. But the Atlanta Falcons lose a tough game against the Cincinnati 
Bengals and the Carolina Panthers are off, uh, being in the middle of an NFC South logjam, it's not going to be easy. And it has to be tough for a team that is trying to bounce back from so many seasons of not making the playoffs and having losing records. You want your morale to be good during the going into the bye week. It's just got to be a tough situation for not only his coaching staff, but the players. Your range of emotions from starting so strong to now dealing with all this and not being able to get back on the field soon and forget about it. Yeah, tough spot. Um, but two things. Number one, um, if I'm the Buccaneers, uh, you know, first of all, I think I might be the first to say this. 2-0 and and that miraculous, surprising, stunning victory over the Saints – and the surprising, stunning victory over the Eagles already seems like months ago, does it not? Yes. Um, that's yes. number one. Number two, the prevailing theme I heard from the locker room today was that's not who we are. That's not who we are. That's how I would approach the next two weeks if I'm the Buccaneers. I already said it, that if I'm the Bucs, I, I guess because you have to in the NFL – you go, got to go back and look at the tape, right? So go back and look at the tape yeah. tomorrow. Do that if you have to. But after that, I would my theme as the coach of this team would be that is not who we are. And we are going to prove to the NFL and the Falcons are going to be the first poor slobs to face us afterwards. We are going to prove that that's not who we are. That has got to be the approach, the attitude that the Buccaneers take over the course of the next two weeks. They cannot spend two weeks talking about this game, thinking about this game, brooding over this game, harping on it. They have to move on right away and say, that is not who we are. There's no sense in us even bothering to look back at that game because that isn't who we are. And we're going to prove it to everybody. That's how you take this and get and get rid of it, put it behind you, and move on. You say you take two weeks and say we're two and two at at the quarter mark of the season. No one expected that to happen because everybody thought we'd be zero and three after the first three. We're two and two. We're ahead of the game. We're only one game out of first place in this division, and we're, we can take over first place next time we play. We're going to show the Falcons who we really are. That's how you handle that situation if you're a team that got beat as badly as the Bucks today. Will they do it? I don't know. We'll see. What an opportunity for Jameis Winston moving forward now. After the bye week, he can kind of uh, reset his mind, reacclimate himself. He you know, got his feet wet a little bit, albeit a, a terrible second half in terms of a situation to come in on. But what an opportunity for Jameis Winston right now. Yeah, it really is. Uh, an opportunity for him to, to rally this team out of this little rut that they're in. And, and that's it. Let's not forget, it's a little rut. They're 2-2. Two and two. Again, what I just said. Most people had this team 1-2, and 0-3 oh at you know, more than likely coming out of the first three. So at the end of the first quarter of the season, most people had them probably what? One and three at, you know, or, or at best two and two. Well, they're two and two. Okay. They've proven they can score points. They've also yet to prove that they can stop anybody really. So they got a couple of things to work on. And, uh, but yeah, Jameis Winston, big opportunity for him to win back this team, uh, win back some fans show that the uh, that, that uh, he, he's a better player than a lot of people want to give him credit for. Um, so, yeah, big opportunity for him. If he rallies this team, there won't be any question about uh, getting that uh, five-year uh, contract extension. That, that'll be back on the table somehow if he can uh, somehow rally this team and uh, turn them into winners again. 
Well, that's what's great about the NFL. Week to week, so much can change, especially from one quarter of a season to another, especially at the beginning of the season. We've seen it time and time again. Teams start off strong, but a lot can happen in a short amount of time. Well, listen, we've broken down this loss and heard from Dirk Cutter and talked about the offense and the defense, but we got to wrap Mike, up. And the only Before we go there, we, yes. we haven't talked about the, the, the elephant in the room. Oh, yeah? And I'm going to throw a question at you. We can debate this. Okay. Should Mike Smith be fired? That's the question everybody wants. My Twitter feed is has blown up with people wanting to fire Mike Smith. The defense is horrible. It's on pace to be the worst defense in the history of the NFL in terms of points allowed. The Bucks have given up what, like you know, four hundred yards, three hundred some, three hundred eighty yards or more, nineteen times in the thirty-six games that he's coached. Should Mike Smith be fired? My whole thing is. Is that going to light a fire under this defense? Maybe. It might. And, and here's the dynamic with Mike Smith that's interesting to me, Roy. Remember just a few years ago, they had the strong finish. They won nine games. The defense turned it around two years ago. Had a great finish. I think it was the last five games. Mike Smith was interviewing for head coaching jobs, but he stayed with the Bucks, And that was the big offseason narrative. Wow, they're really lucky to keep Mike Smith. And now a few years later, everybody wants to run him out of town. And you know what? He hasn't coached well, and this defense isn't playing well. But I don't really know how that's going to help this defense. But you know what? I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah. I, I I think they do need to shake it up because maybe that's what this defense needs. Maybe an, another coach isn't going to, you know, turn it around. But maybe a new scheme, some new ideas, something has to shake it up. And it comes in a bye week where you know there's there's to me, it could wake this defense up in some ways. I'm going to say, yeah. Why not? Well, uh, you know, give. When you when you present it that way, that maybe this team needs that kind of a wake up call and, and shake up. Um, it's I, I don't know if I can argue. I I, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference because you know part of me says, well, who are you going to make coordinator? Um, who you know yeah. who's going to call the plays now? Is it going to be Brenson Buckner? Remember when everybody thought that was the greatest move that the Bucks could possibly make in the off season? What's that done? Yeah. So far, Jason yeah. Pierre Paul and uh, uh, Gerald McCoy, of course are the two people on the defensive front who are playing good football. Vinnie Curry's had some moments too. No one else has really done anything special, including uh, Vita Vea today um, in game one. The linebackers had a horrible game. The secondary is just atrocious. And, you know, I said it before, be careful what you wish, wish for when you want a bunch of rookies in at defensive back in this league. It's usually not going to turn out well for you. And so I'm not sure that Mike Smith um, has much of a, opportunity to do much with what he given what he's got because I think Brent Grimes may have hit the wall Brent Grimes looked did not look like Brent Grimes today um and I just so has no year no year yeah no he hasn't the, the, the games he's played he has not looked good um Justin Evans I, I said it to you last week at uh, Raymond James during the uh, the Bucks Steelers game Mike Evans is the, Mike uh, Justin Evans is the Bucks best defensive back right now but it's not even close um, so I don't know if Mike Smith or anybody else who's in that spot of his would be able to do much more, uh, given the personnel they have, but I still think there's gotta be an answer somewhere. I just don't know if firing a guy is going to do it unless of course it wakes everybody up and, uh, you know, gets guys to start playing well, because what I didn't, what I saw today is something I very seldom see from this team. And that's those linebackers playing as badly as they played. That was the shocking thing. Most of all to me was how bad the linebackers played. 
You know, I like when you ask me questions. I like when you turn the tables. That makes for good dialogue. I like when you surprise me like that, too. So you know what I'm going to do for you now, Roy Cummings? Mm-hmm. I'm going to surprise you because you know what time it is. Yeah, baby. Yeah. This is the three and out segment, which is a concept the Buccaneers defense doesn't know anything about right now. <laughs> Well, you took the ball around with that. I yeah. like it. I like it. You know what? We, we've kind of um, groomed this three and out segment because it's football, it's Bucks, but then we kind of expanded the NFL. But we always end with something everybody can enjoy. And we hope, we know that our few extra Bucks podcasts is growing every week, but we're trying to grow our audience. So the last question is always something kind of non football related, kind of pop culture stuff. By the way, I've taken an informal poll. And everybody I know likes Billy Joel better than Elton John. But you know what? You guys can have your opinion. That's why we have a podcast, and that's why this is so well, much everybody fun. Everybody you know don't know what they're talking about, pal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to ask you this, Roy. Yeah. Because you don't know the questions coming here. All right? We talked about covering bad games like this. Okay, besides this game, you've covered the NFL for decades, long, long time. You covered some bad games, some bad losses. What's the worst loss you've ever covered? Um, one that just sticks out. There was a forty-eight like a to something time. very similar to this one loss in Oakland. Uh, John Gruden's the year after John Gruden allowed uh, Warren Sapp to get away and John Lynch to get away. That was a pretty bad one. Um, that was about as bad as it gets because it was it was pretty evident right then and there that. It was when the Bucks started going with older players more often than than not. I think we guess it was two thousand three, and it was just disastrous. That that was about as bad a game as I remember. It was just an embarrassment for a team that was as good as uh, that Bucks team was supposed to have been to have fallen apart like that. Um, so that's the one that sticks out to me, I guess. What about the Colts comeback? That one just made me mad because. <laughs> it was Monday night, you know, deadlines are ridiculous. I had my game story written at halftime. <laughs> Halftime's over, and I just I just need to I just need the Bucks to polish this thing off. And they couldn't do it. So that was bad for a lot of reasons, but from uh from, but primarily from a standpoint of a sports writer on a Monday night football deadline. Um that's uh that yeah, that was pretty bad for sure. That was torturous. I mean, that was back, if, if, you, if you don't remember that, Bucks fans, back in October 6th of 2003, the score was 35-14 to 14 with 5.09 left. 35-14, to 14, and the Colts would win 38-35 in overtime. But, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, but you, you know what? I'm going to bend my answer. You know what the worst loss was? The loss to the Rams in the NFC Championship game. Oh, oh. The, yeah, the, the, the Bird Emanuel play. 1999 shouldn't have lost the game and so much happened as a result of that loss you know people losing their jobs uh the nf you know the the catch rule that was the beginning of the catch rule uh debacle which continues to rage on through the uh, throughout the nfl that was a that was probably the really that was probably the toughest loss in not in terms of just downright beatings you know, you have beatings like today, and then you have losses in games where they probably shouldn't have lost, and they lost because somebody else screwed up. It wasn't a mistake of a player. It was a mistake of an official and a league that had to admit it the next day, 
and send the Buccaneers a letter saying, oh, yeah, by the way, we screwed that play up. Sorry, you should be in the NFC champion or you should be in the you should be alive in the playoffs and you're not. You know, Tony Dungy, who was recently inducted in the Ring of Honor, I heard an interview with him recently and they said they never, you know, had that call before and they felt bad about it. And he's like, yeah, the only time they had that call is when we lost the NFC championship yeah. game. A call like that. So, yeah, that's, that was a tough one. Tough one for sure. All right, our second question. Um, it's a quarter of the season is almost done, okay? For a lot of teams, it is done. If we could redo our Super Bowl picks, what would they be? You know, you, you, can, you can have a mulligan, a do-over. Can you, what would you have as your Super Bowl team? Well, I you, you can't not go with the Rams, right? Right. Uh, right. So I would pick them. And um, AFC is the tough. AFC is tough. Yeah, uh, it's all over the place. It's watered yeah, down. It really is. You know what? I'll still go with the Patriots. Just yeah. because it's hard. It's hard yeah, not to. Just because they'll figure out. They'll figure out a way. In in that division, it won't be trouble. It won't be hard to get get into the playoffs. And 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 they'll figure out a way. They're all about the playoffs anyway. They're like a hockey team or a basketball team in the NFL because they know they're going to the playoffs. It's just a matter of what do we do when we get there? So I'll still stick with them, but the Rams look good. I'm going to say, Justin, who do you have? You could have a do over because obviously we all need a do over because I picked the Falcons and the the Texans and that's not going to happen. So I don't know if you want to do over for your Super Bowl predictions. Well, I know I picked chargers and Rams in the Super Bowl. I can't remember who I picked to win. But the Rams are clearly the best team in the NFL right now, so I'll stick with the Rams. And as far as Chargers aren't impressing me too much, I may switch like Roy to the Patriots. I know they kind of haven't looked great, but today they totally embarrassed the Dolphins. And last year they started off two and two and made it to the Super Bowl. So I'm going to switch over to the Patriots and Rams. All right, I'm going to be different because I want to be different because I'm usually different from you guys. Um, not not that you you guys always agree. It's not fair, but I'm going to pick the Saints to really? win. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to predict the Saints. I think the I was real impressed by what they did in the Meadowlands. Uh, I think that the secondary is going to get better, and that was a big problem for them in Atlanta. And frankly, uh, <laughs> a lot of their, their games initially with the Bucks as well. I'm going to predict the Saints. Um, I don't know about the Patriots. I can't put my money on Andy Reid. They always start strong, and then you know what happens. Right. Um, Jaguars, Blake Bortles, I'm sorry. I'm going to do this, guys, because if this happens, I'll look like a genius, and I probably won't happen, and I won't, won't be a genius. Are you going with the Bengals? Saints Bengals. Oh, I yeah. knew it. <laughs> Saints. And I liked what the Bengals did in Atlanta. Uh, that was an impressive win on the road. Um, but, but the AFC is tough. I mean, I think if it was my house I was betting on or my car, I would be the Patriots. Because you know the Patriots are going to turn it around, right? But uh, I'm just trying to be different, I guess. All right, all right. Last one, and it's pop culture, guys. Okay. okay? And Justin Thomas uh, has helped me with some of these, and he doesn't. We've kind of made a list, Roy, but he doesn't know which one I picked out of this list. A lot of good football movies over the years, right? I, I actually like baseball movies. I think there's more, there's better baseball movies than football movies. Yeah, so baseball might be an easier question. But what is your favorite football movie of all time? What's the best football movie ever? Uh, boy, that's a that's a tough one. Um, you know, I think the original. Well, Brian's song's pretty good. 
Yeah, that's a good one. But I think maybe, I think maybe the the original longest yard. Yeah, I, I would probably have to take that. Am I missing one? Not the Adam, not the Adam Sandler one. <laughs> What's that? Not the Adam Sandler one. Uh, no, not, not the Adam <laughs> Sandler one. <laughs> Burt Reynolds was in that one, right? He's actually didn't yep. he have a, a cameo in the second one? But it was in the first yeah, one. He's in sure. Yeah, he's in both. He was in both. That's right. Yeah. But he was he was tough in the first one because he wanted to actually do the scenes. He didn't want to just have a yeah. stunt double. He was he, he was right. hard hitting in that one. Yeah. North Dallas Forty wasn't just, bad. Oh, I like North Dallas Forty a lot. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What do you think, Justin? Um I haven't seen all of them. There's there's a lot, although I'll say there's more baseball ones. Um, I think the one that has stuck out with me the most would be Friday Night Lights. I thought that was just a really good depiction of high school Texas football. Uh, Great book. It was, yeah, and it also uh, spawned a really good TV show, so I'm going to stick with Friday Night Lights. The TV show was excellent. It was really good. Almost as good as The Bachelorette, but you know, it's close well, second. Yeah, you know, almost as good, not quite. I'm going to give you a dark horse, okay? I I know it's not all true, but I loved Rudy. Rudy was great. Rudy was good. And Roy's, yeah. Roy's probably shaking his head. No, no. But remember the Titans was good. I like remember yeah. the Titans. That was yeah. a pretty good one. Um, my fa- you know one of my favorites though is I like the All the Right Moves, man. I thought that was a good one. Tom Cruise back in the day got kicked off the oh, team. I, I liked all the right moves. You're right. That's good. That's good. You know which yeah. one I just thought of too? Uh, it's a little hokey, but it's got one of the best speeches ever, and it ties into last week's question. But uh, any given Sunday with Al Pacino was really good. Yeah, except it's yeah. Al Pacino now. If De Niro had played the head coach, <laughs> it would have been better. Uh, oh my god, I we like gotta do it. We got to do a poll on Pewter Pirates. We got to do Longest Yard. We'll do Rudy. Remember the Titans, Friday Night Lights, and maybe uh, All the Right Moves. And of course, you know, those? ask them if they, if they want to put in another one. We Are Marshall wasn't bad. That's college football. That was a yeah. good one. Too. A very good yeah. one, too. You know what the millennials love, though? You see this pop up? That Varsity Blues one. They love oh, the Varsity yeah. Blues. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I remember that one. That one wasn't that good. <laughs> John Boyd as the. The crusty old man. <laughs> That's how Dirk Cutter feels right yeah, now, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it all full circle. Well, listen, guys, uh, that's good stuff. Um, I appreciate it. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll continue during the bye week. We'll get some sound this week and talk Buccaneer football. But uh, like Roy says, it's not over, man. Two and two. Uh, Falcons lose. Saints win. Carolina off. But uh, a lot of football to be played. Still three quarters of the year. Uh, we'll see what happens. But for Justin Thomas, our producer, for Roy Cummings, our Buccaneer Insider, for our title sponsors, House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company, I'm Mike Neighbors. This has been another rendition of A Few Extra Bucks. Remember, subscribe to pewterpirates.com. It's free. Thanks for logging on. We'll see you next time. <laughs>